Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with Bela Zebro, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. So, here's a riddle. When is anti-Semitism not anti-Semitism? Well, there are several answers. One is when a Jewish left-wing group like Jewish Voice for Peace, if not now, or Peter Beinart says it's not anti-Semitism. Another answer is when the attackers replace the word Jew with Zionist. And thirdly, when it takes place on a college campus under the guise of academic freedom. For decades, well-funded Palestinian, Islamist, and communist student organizations have been attacking Israel's legitimacy as a state, while Jewish students are left practically defenseless. And there are many reasons for this, including Jewish students go to college to get an education and then move on with their lives, while the enemies of Israel, both at the instructor and student levels, have been playing long ball for decades to indoctrinate a generation of activists to isolate Israel and anyone who supports the Jewish state by any and all means necessary. Israel's enemies have studied the art of political warfare and figured out the power of words by simply applying stinging labels like apartheid, racist, supremacist, and Nazi. The Palestinian movement has taken control of the narrative, defining the terms of the conflict and stifling supporters of Israel from effectively fighting back. Our very special guest today, Dr. Richard Kravitz, is an expert on college anti-Semitism throughout all of North America, and we'll go into much greater detail in just a few moments after Bela gives them a proper introduction. Now, Bela, I know you had a few thoughts uh, about yeah. this topic as well. Thank you, Alan. We are in a dark era when anti-Semitism and anti-Israel hatred are becoming more and more mainstreamed right here in the United States, right before our eyes. And it's the mainstreaming factor that's very frightening. We have major public figures, including U.S. Congress members and the media, who are ramping up Jew hatred in a psychological way, with accusations such as falsely accusing Israel of denying clean water to Arabs that is reminiscent of the medieval days that Jews are poisoning the wells, which was uh, known to be an anti-Semitic blood libel that was used to justify the pogroms. It's very simple and easy to understand. When you have enemies that are hell-bent on hurting you, they will come up with an accusation, a false accusation against you, and use that as the excuse for why they're hurting you. They will want to make it seem as though it's a self-defense for what they are doing. And we have seen this throughout history. We have seen how educated people, including doctors who have turned on Jews in a most hateful, murderous way, not that long ago, it was all over the news about a Palestinian Arab American doctor in Cleveland who bragged that she would give Jews the wrong medicine. And on college campuses, the anti-Jewish hate group 
Students for Justice in Palestine calls for violence by screaming Intifada. For our listening audience, Intifadas are the violent knifing, bombing, and shooting campaigns in which Palestinian Arabs murdered and maimed over 12,000 innocent Israelis. And as Alan just said, Jewish students go to college to get an education. Yes, that's the plan. They should not have to deal with anti-Semitic rants by Jew-hating students or professors. We are therefore very honored and graced to have with us the esteemed Richard L. Kravitz, Ph.D., author of Dispatches from the Campus War Against Israel and Jews and Genocidal Liberalism, the university's jihads against Israel and Jews. Dr. Kravitz is President Emeritus of Scholars for Peace in the Middle East. He's also the creator and founding director of Boston University's program in publishing and digital media at BU Center for Professional Education and former professor of practice and director of the master's program in communications management at Simmons College's School of Management. Dr. Kravitz has also taught 20 courses in advertising, marketing, communications, consumer behavior, public relations, magazine publishing, and other areas at Tufts University, Simmons College, Florida Atlantic University, Kaiser University, UMass Boston, Suffolk University, Babson College, Wentworth Institute, Emerson College, Northwestern University, Emanuel College, and others. This is unbelievable. (laughs) Dr. Kravitz has published over 450 articles, op-ed pieces, and scholarly papers on campus anti-Semitism, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, campus free speech, terrorism, constitutional law, Middle East politics, and social policy in the Boston Globe, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, Chicago Tribune, Palm Beach Post, Baltimore Sun, Boston Herald, Orange County Red Register, American Thinker, I mean, I'm getting out of breath here, Jewish Press, <laughs> Human Events, Harvard Crimson, Front Page Magazine, Times of Israel, and many others. I'm, I'm really running out of breath. Oh my gosh, Dr. Kravitz, you're unbelievable. He also lectures nationally on the topic of higher education, academic freedom, and the Middle East, and has been a frequent guest on radio talk shows. In addition to serving as a member of the Board of Directors of Scholars for Peace in the Middle East, Dr. Kravitz is also a board member of the Journal for the Study of Anti-Semitism. The AMCHA Initiative, the Israel Group, the Louis D. Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law, and the Florida Chapter of the Zionist Organization of America, and an advisory board member of the Endowment for Middle East Truth, and the Gross Family Center for the Study of Anti-Semitism and the Holocaust. Uh, he's a member of uh, SPME's Council of Scholars. Dr. Kravitz, Welcome to our show. I'm telling you, I was getting out of breath here, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your recent article, thank you again so very much. In your recent article, Exporting Racism, can you please explain what we are dealing with here in the U.S. and what happened in April at Tufts University that caused embarrassment outside Boston? Well, thank you for having me. Uh, When I speak to people about the situation on campuses, I like to refer to the title of Melanie Phillips' great book, The World Turned Upside Down, 
because when we're looking at Israel and particularly Israel as it's perceived on campus and as it's debated and spoken about at universities, this is a world turned upside down. She calls it a dialogue of the demented where uh, discussions about what Israel stands for and what it represents in the world community and how it's perceived on campuses is so distorted and divorced from reality that it's, uh, it's become almost unimaginable that the Jewish state, the only democracy in a sea of totalitarian regimes and uh, countries where there is no civil and human rights for their citizens, is perceived as being the, the worst offender of human rights on earth uh, and grades gets grades well below uh, human rights violators like Iran and China and Yemen and Saudi Arabia when people are asked to give their attitudes about different countries. It's, it's truly a world turned upside down where the truth has become a, a veil of lies. At Tufts University, the, their latest agitation against Israel by Students for Justice in Palestine, a, a toxic anti-Israel group, was to blame Israel uh, for training American police forces how to be racist towards black people. So here, here an American uh, radical group on a, on a American campus was trying to spread the libel that the IDF and Israel were responsible for police brutality by American policemen towards black people. This is another step in what we call intersectionality, where groups that feel themselves to be oppressed by oppressors, either colonial oppressors or capitalist oppressors or other oppressors join forces as victims against their oppressors. And Israel and capitalism and America are looked at as oppressive forces. And Black students and Arab students and anti-Israel students, uh, gay students and others now have joined ideological forces in their campaign to demean and slander Israel, uh, what we call a cognitive war against Israel. So this idea that somehow Israel is responsible for the bad actions of American policemen in their interaction with black people is both obscene and, and yet another example of how Israel is made into the world's worst defender where their power is way beyond their numbers and their actual influence. And their malignancy is, is defined in a way that makes them almost superhuman in their evil, uh, which is a frightening thing, considering that they are a beacon of hope in, in an area where there are very few functioning democracies, if any, Uh, And where even the non-Jewish citizens of Israel enjoy more civil and human rights than they would in any of the surrounding Arab or Muslim countries. So, you know, Richard, one of the thoughts that I have, because I've been a political activist for many years, I went to Wayne State University in Detroit. Um, And one thing that I have learned is, is that 
one of the mistakes that Jewish students make or pro-Israel students is that we're trying to be logical. We're trying to prove the truth. But the truth was never at issue. It's like trying to argue that two plus two is four when that's not really what they're saying. They're denying our legitimacy, and it doesn't matter what the truth is. They have their game plan. They have learned well, and I, I predicted this 30 years ago, that one day they will understand media manipulation. They will understand that if you can align yourself with other victim groups, now you have a whole defense of You've got a whole team of people aligned together. And when they can tie Israel together with the United States and the military and everything else that democracy brings, now they've got a team. And you see what's happening here with Students of Justice in Palestine. For Palestine, and they're aligned with all these Jewish groups, as you pointed out in your articles, Jewish Voice or Peace, if not now, Peter Beinart, and they have well, they've successfully, to a degree, created their own team to battle Israel. So when Jewish students say, "Well, you know, we're going to present the truth," because they have they go to APAC and they learn the truth, the truth was never at issue here. It's about battling legitimacy, which has nothing to do with truth. Yeah, the. The enemies of Israel have been very successful from a public relations standpoint in creating a narrative. And the narrative is uh, is often more important than the truth because it becomes the accepted reality. And and many, many on the left think that there are no actual truths, that everything is subject to interpretation and that facts can be modified to fit a, a political agenda or an ideological agenda. So the, the, the narrative about Israel is not that it, it, it was, it's a legally created country that has made profound and significant advances and created a functioning democracy. The narrative is that it is an illegal apartheid regime that occupies Muslim land that was stolen from an indigenous people. And it is a colonial enterprise that uh, uses brutality, militarism, and racism as a way of subjugating the rightful owners of that land. That's, a, that's the prevailing narrative. And even when you hear people referring to Palestine, Palestine will be free, as if there was a country called Palestine that was usurped by Jews after the Second World War and taken from the rightful owners of that property, the Palestinians, who, of course, didn't even exist until the 1960s. And they were created as a political tool, as you know, not as they were not an indigenous people. There was never a people called Palestinians. There was never a nation, a sovereign entity called Palestine. There was a territory called Palestine, but it was a territory related to the Jews, not to to Arabs or Muslims, and not to any people called Palestinians. So that whole narrative is false, but it's been very uh, engaging for the enemies of Israel. And what I notice on, on university campuses is that when Jews celebrate Israel, they and they have a pro is what we would call a pro-Israel event, what do they do? They, have, they sing folk songs, they eat Israeli food, they talk about all the virtues and positive aspects of Israel. What do people do on the other side when they have an anti-Israel uh, event? And, and the reality is that being pro-Palestinian on American campuses today, by definition, means that you are anti-Israel. They, they do nothing on behalf of the Palestinians. 
there's never a word spoken about trying to better the lives of Palestinians or helping them achieve statehood or getting them to uh, give up incitement and Jew hatred as, as part of their fundamental existence or to denounce terrorism. Nothing is done to actually assist the Palestinians in achieving their presumed self-determination and their desire for statehood. Being pro-Palestinian on American campuses and, and campuses in England and in Canada and elsewhere means being anti-Israel. So all of the activities of the pro-Palestinian groups, including Students for Justice in Palestine and others, is to demean, slander, and debase Israel and its actions and to constantly critique it. And those events with the mock apartheid walls and the eviction notices placed on the doors of Jewish students and the many other um, visually engaging and theatric events that the anti-Israel groups have are much more engaging and interesting for other students than going to a pro-Israel event where you're eating Israeli food and singing folk songs, for example. So their strategy is much more aggressive and deadly and dangerous, but it's more it's been more effective. And the the other reason that pro-Palestinians and anti-Israel forces have been successful is that they have made their message against Israel as being an issue of race. Erwin uh, Kotler, who's a great humanitarian, a, a former member of the Canadian Parliament, once made a comment, and he, he said that in the 20th century, the worst uh, uh, accusation you could make against somebody was that, was that of being a racist. And he said, and uh, in the 20th century, where was racism most profoundly exhibited? In apartheid and in Nazism. And isn't it interesting now that Israel is repeatedly called an apartheid state and they are repeatedly now compared to Nazis in their behavior towards the Palestinians. So the issue of race has become so sensitive on American campuses. And now since the death of George Floyd in May, the issue of race has gone right to the top of the consciousness of students, not only black students, but entire administrations are, are cowering to this, this specter of racism. Princeton University's uh, president was apologizing profoundly publicly for being such a racist institution at Princeton, so much so that the Department of Education opened up an investigation to see if it was actually true and whether they were violating the Civil Rights Act of 1964 by being racist, if in fact it was true. But the being a racist now, as, as Israel is alleged to be, resonates with students who are very profoundly aware of who is a racist and who is not. So the Palestinians have been very effective in making Israeli people and the existence of Israel as an apartheid racist state a way of, of alleging that Israel is a profoundly egregious entity by virtue of its racism. So they call the security barrier 
the apartheid wall. Well, what does that what does that suggest to people? It suggests that it was put up as a way of keeping white Jews separate from brown Arabs. There's nothing racial about that wall. That wall was built as a way of of diminishing terrorism so that Arabs were not able to murder Jews. And in fact, it reduced terrorism by 80%. So it was effective. But it's it's portrayed on university campuses during Israel Apartheid Week as a racist wall that was built to divide white people from brown people. And that racism uh, allegation has been very effective in mobilizing support against Israel. Yes. Dr. Kravitz, uh, in your article, you referenced the deadly exchange program. Can you please elaborate on what that program is is all about for our listening audience? That was the one that we talked uh, about at the beginning, where uh, activists in America have, especially since the death of George Floyd and the attention that's been put on defunding the police in America, uh, there had been some training programs where some police officers from America went to Israel to learn about terrorism and crowd crowd control and and aspects of law enforcement that Israel had some expertise in given their experience with terrorism and and such. The way that it's been spun now is that Israel is teaching American police forces how to be racist. And since American police forces now are being alleged to be white, racist, anti-black bullies who randomly murder young black men with impunity, as if this was some kind of a uh, epidemic, even though statistically and mathematically it's it's not it's not it's not factual it isn't happening there have been some obviously there's been some high profile murders but uh white policemen are no more likely to kill a black suspect than a white suspect and and many of the policemen who end up shooting unarmed suspects are minorities themselves so this this mythology about white police officers randomly killing black people and not being held responsible for it is factually untrue. But it's but like the lies about Israel, it's an interesting narrative. And it's fueled the whole Black Lives Matter movement. It's raised billions of dollars. It's mobilized a lot of support. And it's a way on campuses now that black students are getting many concessions in, in the demands that they're making for increased uh, scholarships or separate uh, facilities for black students, uh, increased uh, admissions and recruitment of faculty that are minority and so forth. Uh, yes. No, so so you, earlier you invoked the stinging effect of um, invoking Nazism. Um, Peter Beinart in his book, The Crisis of Zionism, called out uh, the American Jewish community for spending so much money on Holocaust museums uh, while not having learned, learned the lessons of the Holocaust themselves. Uh, in this past election, we saw the disgraceful use by Haley Sofer from the Democrat, the Jewish Democrat, uh, whatever they call themselves, drawing parallels between the Trump administration and uh, Nazism. And then of all people, Devorah Lipstadt, um, who is known as a Holocaust scholar, 
uh, also say, well, we're not saying that Trump is Hitler, but there are parallels. And today I saw the ZOA finally you know, put out a letter calling her, her out on it. But to me, Holocaust trivialization is pretty much akin to Holocaust denial and maybe even worse. It's one thing when you have white trash who deny the Holocaust because that's just, you know, they're knuckleheads uh, and this is what they do. But when you have Jewish activists who trivialize Nazism, how much lower you know, are we going to go? I mean, we're, we're no longer a Jewish people supporting Israel. Now we're Jewish Republicans and Jewish Democrats, and uh, nothing is off the table anymore. For years, uh, the enemies of Israel have been trying to draw a, an equation between the behavior of Israelis and the Nazis. Uh, this has a dual purpose. First of all, it uh, my colleague Richard Landis, a professor at BU, calls this moral sadism, where you're accusing Israelis of all people of being the new Nazis, given that many Israelis are themselves or the children of people that actually survived the Holocaust. This, this has a double effect. First of all, it's incredibly cruel to call Israelis Nazis and to liken their behavior towards the Palestinians to their, the behavior of the Nazis towards Jews in Europe. But second of all, it, it, it's not only cruel and, and grotesque because it's totally inaccurate, but it also is, is a way of sticking it to Jews again by saying you should know better. Now your behavior is like the people that so uh, mis misbehaved towards you and were so grotesque towards you and caused the death of six million of your fellow Jews. Uh, that's been going on for some time. So that so that when we see demonstrations, um, anti-Israel demonstrations on campuses, they have from Gaza to Auschwitz with an, with an equal sign, or the Star of David with an equal sign towards the, the swastika. swastika. This has been going on for some time. We, we call this Holocaust minimization because you're comparing something that is clearly not a Holocaust. Uh, if, if Israelis are perpetrating a Holocaust towards the Palestinians, they're doing a pretty bad job of it. Since there were about 700,000 Palestinians at the time Israel was created, and now there's six or seven million. So we're not doing a good job of, of committing genocide against the Palestinians, if, if that's actually true. Those, those accusations are useful for one reason, and, and it's a dangerous reason, and it's a reason why we should be concerned when repeated references are made to Israel as being the new incarnation of, of the Nazi regime. Because if Israel is truly a Nazi-like sovereignty, if their behavior is just like the Nazis, if they are perpetrating a genocide against the Palestinians that's equivalent to what happened during the Third Reich, then who would come to the defense of, of the new Nazis? No one. Who would be alarmed and who would try to stop any actions to eliminate a state, the Jewish state, if in fact it was the reincarnation of the Third Reich? It's dangerous because it's based on lies, obviously. That's, during Operation Cast Lead or one of the incursions when 
Israel finally went into Gaza to suppress the Hamas rocket fires after 12,000 rockets had come into southern Israeli towns. Immediately, the intellectual midgets at the UN started getting up and calling this a genocide because 700 people had been killed in in Gaza, uh, three quarters of whom were terrorists, but 700 had been killed. And that's primarily because Hamas likes to embed itself in civilian populations, knowing that Israel will have to kill some civilians in killing terrorists. But they called that a genocide. When in, you know, in the next country in Syria, 750,000 Syrians have been slaughtered by their own government, including over 50,000 children. No one's calling that a genocide. Uh, So it's both careless, um, counterfactual, and grotesque that Israel is so often and uh, promiscuously compared to the Third Reich, and their behavior is is said to be Nazi-like. But it has, as I said, the dangerous side effect of making them susceptible to people not coming to their defense were somebody like Iran or another country that had the ability to actually exterminate Israel. They'll say, well, they're, they've been behaving like Nazis, so they're getting what they deserve. That's the danger of that. That it comes from somebody like Deborah Lipstadt is a little different. She's a liberal. She doesn't like Trump. And and a new a new layer of this equation of white supremacy and Nazism happened with Trump's election, where uh, where his supporters were described as being white supremacists for some reason, as a way of making him look like the embodiment of all evil because it it made him look like the ultimate racist in the same way. And it's a careless kind of criticism because it's totally inaccurate and it's overblown and overstated in the same way it is when it's used against Israel. But for the same reason, because, because that allowed the press and the Democrats and anybody that was against Trump to act towards him in any way that they wanted to beyond all reasonable and polite standards of behavior uh, in our democracy. And they say, well, but he's Hitler. So we have to do that. Yeah. Did you have some yeah, I, yeah, so I wanted to, yeah, this, this is very important. Um, Dr. Kravitz, you are a most fascinating person who has done so much for the good of society. And I, I always like to know a bit about the drive as to why somebody does what they do. And I know that our listening audience wants to know, how did you get started being this, this, this incredible larger-than-life figure? What was your driving factor? What was the driving force? <laughs> uh, interestingly, uh, I never had any interest in, in Israel. In fact, my daughter went to Israel before I did on a birthright trip. And she came back and she said, Daddy, I can't believe I went to Israel before you. You're such a Zionist. But I never thought of myself like that. And in fact, I have been writing opinion pieces and columns for newspapers for 30 years or so. But only in the last 10 or 12 years was I starting to write about anti-Semitism and and matters relating to Israel. I was writing about real estate and uh, affordable housing and and other 
social issues because I was involved in that and it was something that had my interest. But I started noticing what was happening on campuses and I started writing about it. I came from a very secular background, non-religious. I had a bar mitzvah, but but that was the end of my experience with synagogues and, and Judaism, for that matter. My parents were totally non-Jewish in that respect, totally secular. So I had no affinity for Israel or even interest in it. What I, what I started noticing on campuses was the way that Israel was being talked about. And, and, and I, I didn't like the uh, unjust manner in which it was being treated. And so my writing is kind of to call out the behavior of the enemies of Israel and these radical student groups and expose them for what they are, liars, hypocrites, uh, and, and virulent you know, dangerous groups. Uh, I, I always comment about the fact that when you see these demonstrations on campus, you, you frequently hear these students and these students think of themselves as social justice warriors. They think they're, they're the most tolerant and, and biggest hearted people on campus. They feel that in siding with the underdog Palestinians that they're on the right side of history and they're therefore the underdog and they're trying to do the right thing because they're such good people and they're very woke and tolerant. And here they are screaming intifada, intifada, long live intifada. And I'm thinking to myself, do they realize what they're saying? They're calling for the death of Jews by Arab terrorists when they're calling for an intifada. And what they're saying is, we believe in the Palestinian cause so much, and we think it's so virtuous, even though it's it's defined by terrorism, and they've never done a positive thing towards establishing a state for themselves. They've turned it down on seven or eight occasions. They don't really even seem to want a state. All they want to do is destroy Israel. Yet we're supporting them. And not only that, we're saying that in support of them, we're all for them murdering Jews in Israel to to achieve their objectives. Intifada, intifada, long live intifada. Can you imagine a white group of students yelling, send them back to Africa, yeah. string them up, string them up? It's, yeah. That yeah. would be the equivalent call. And yeah. administrations and other faculty and students would be shocked and dismayed yes. and would express their dismay immediately at such sentiments when they're articulated. We are out of time. Dr. Kravitz, on behalf of Alan and myself, thank you so very much for accepting our invitation to be on our show. And thank you to our listening audience for joining us on the Definitive Wrap. Dr. Kravitz, it was an honor wishing you and yours a happy new year. You too. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.